man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Beep, bop, boop. Welcome, everybody, to Who Shot Ya? It's very exciting. My name is Alonzo Duraldi. I'll be hosting this week. Joining me in the booth, a freelance writer whose work can be read in The Hollywood Reporter, Teen Vogue, The AV Club, and so many other places, Joelle Monique. Joelle, hey. Joelle what's good? Um, I'm going to go with Susie's Cupcakes because we had them at D&D this weekend, and it was perfect. I was on a pirate ship eating a vanilla cupcake. It doesn't get much better. Living the dream. Totally. Wait, a pirate? What? I heard pirate and cupcake, and they did not. It was at D and D. It was just Dungeons oh. and Dragons. If you don't I know, I thought you said like your friend Dee Dee's, like, <laughs> and I was like, wait, the, the does, she have, does she live in a ship? I don't have any ship dwelling friends. <laughs> Who get, made cupcakes? <laughs> it's 2020, Dre. Get it together. Uh, that is the voice you heard, of course. Producer, film festival programmer, Drea Clark. Drea, what's good? What's good with me? So I, I loathe to give another Netflix recommendation. So what I'll say is I've discovered mm. my favorite subcategory of TV enjoyment is uh, me finding characters that remind me of producer Casey. Yes! Um, and he knows this, but I always like to tell him that Bash on Glow reminds me of no! him. And I would love him to get like a very bright 80s suit. Yes, and please. Just as a general principle. It's largely yeah. the hair. I mean, but it's the whole sort of, he's got a very elfin man thing about him. And so there's another Netflix show called Next in Fashion that I adored, the toasted by Alexa Chung and Tan France. And they have so much charm and charisma between them. And the reality shows I watch are typically just ones where people are really talented in some way and get to show it. Mm. Um, and this one has... One of the competitors is a named Daniel, and he is very much in the producer Casey uh, mold. Okay. And even in the first episode, like two of the other contestants are like, Daniel's beautiful. <laughs> it's just dreamy. Anyway. D- does Tan go around giving everybody French tucks or he yeah. he brings it up at least once an episode? <laughs> oh my god. Make it stop. No, it Never. works. It's really charming. But <laughs> yeah. So if you ever it's a see just weapon. a delightful like Casey's look to me reads grew up like as a well for boys. But was like making dirty jokes to the well. That's the vibe. (laughs) And then good hair. I think of him as like the masculine version of Emma Roberts in Nancy Drew. Oh my God. (laughs) Casey, I hope this is fun for you. I love everything that's happening. (laughs) That's what's good with me. Joining us today, uh, our vastly overqualified guest who we're so thrilled to have with us for this conversation, author of the Heroin Complex series and the newly released Shadow of the Batgirl from DC Comics, Sarah Kuhn is here. (laughs) Sarah, what's good? Um, Well, I've been talking a lot about how I've decided to commit myself to the jumpsuit lifestyle. All right. Um, My friend Daphna, who is like, a cool comics girl. She's an editor at Boom. I just think of her as a cool comics girl. She had like these cool jumpsuits and I was like, where did you get them? And there's a place in LA called uh, Big Bud, which just makes like these jumpsuits in all different colors. So I went and tried one on and it was very like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yes! It was like immediate, like I love this. I never want to wear anything else. So my dream now is um, I got one that's very pink and I would like to get them in all the different colors so I could take um, like makeup 
picture of myself where it's like that Hillary Clinton yes, thing where she had all the rainbow. Like that's yeah. that's like my ultimate goal. So I'm very into jumpsuits. Right I want that for you, and I will note <laughs> yes. you are wearing an excellent jumpsuit. I, I right am. Now. I am. It this is, this one has a print. I'm also into. It's print. a solid floral. It looks like it was from the Birds of Prey poster. Thank you. This is actually what I wore to our Shadow of the Batgirl launch party because it reminded me of that kind of um, in the book our character um, has like who becomes Batgirl she has like she makes her own cape and it's like from a floral bed sheet so she has like this floral cape so that became kind of our thing so I wanted to like honor her with the floral jumpsuit. I love it. Yeah. The jumpsuit is the wearable cape. <laughs> yes, I love that. Anything. Or as Dr. Bench yeah. would call them, the speed suit. <laughs> nice. Yes. Glorious. Also, I do know that capes are wearable. I get it. Don't tell me. <laughs> no capes. Alonzo, uh, what's good with you? Oh, Drea, I'll tell you, you know, I, whatever I had in my mind for what's good flew out of my head when I walked into the Max Fun offices today and tried my first um, nacho cheese flaming Hot Dorito. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. Changing the game. <laughs> I have to say uh, I'm a I'm a late convert to the flaming hot. Mm. Like for a long time it was just welcome. It was de trop mm. for me. But I don't know if it's because I'm just getting I'm getting older. My tongue is dying, and so now I can handle the, that accentuated level of spicy. But the uh, yeah nacho cheese Doritos, but flaming hot. So it's a spicy nacho flavor. Yeah. This is the snack of choice for kids between like 18 and 27 right now. That and Mountain Dew, done. <laughs> I've got a real Enjoy Minnesota your palate. Enjoy later. So <laughs> the spice is too much. No, I've, I've seen the flaming Hot, like the Cheetos and the Doritos used as like a, a crumble. Yes. On, a on fancy, yeah, yes. like on fancy dishes. I will try anything with the flaming Hot crumble. Like I've had sushi with no. that. Oh, wow. Mac Tell us about cheese. it. Like it, it just makes everything better. I, I'm okay, ready to make the classics. leap to the flaming hot funyun, but I'm just—it mm, hasn't oh happened God. yet. I You're so close. <laughs> I'll report back. This is that nacho flaming hot is your bridge. <laughs> it's my gateway. For Someone sure, did no an question. entire turkey that way for a Thanksgiving, and I was oh like, oh, I see the inspiration. Yeah, that just seems like a meme. Like that just seems like an actual meal. Just a th- just they're a like you know what you will enjoy it, but the photos are going to be great. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's perfect, perfect, perfect that Sarah is here because today we are talking about birds of prey Yay. and the fantabulous emancipation. <laughs> of one Harley Quinn. Uh, we'll also be taking a call from the Who Shot line and of course our staff picks. But first, it's time for that new segment called It a Dick. It a Dick. <laughs> Which means is this important? Do I care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer those vital questions. Is this important? Do I care? Starting of course with last Sunday's 92nd Academy Awards and rather than asking is this important? Do you care? I will ask what was important and what <laughs> did you care about? There was it was there was a lot happening in so that show. It was much. it clocked in at like three and plus some hours. But worth it for once. Um yeah. a lot of it was worth it. It's interesting because I've worked on award shows and I don't actually like watching award shows, which is an interesting intersection to live at. <laughs> My there were a lot of things that I didn't think worked in terms of show, which was like they had that awkwardness because there was no host of having presenters come out and then present the presenters. Yeah. Which seems so superfluous and such a like <laughs> How m- we need as many famous people on stage as we can get. When it's, I'm like, it seemed like a great way to say you're on the B list, and we're you're going to introduce yes. this A lister. We're going to have a JV person out here yeah. to talk about the homecoming queen. Yeah, um, so I I knew where they were coming from because you want to be able to say in advance 
we know these stars are coming because they're part of the show. But then it seems just like raw awkward. <laughs> there were so there were some things that that way f- flow wise, and I'm like, oh, that was a that was a choice. Also, why Eminem? That was okay. So <laughs> one of the producers of the show, Stephanie Elaine, was my festival director at LA Film yes. Fest for years. And I was like, oh, Stephanie's behind this for sure. <laughs> I really wish they had set up the context of whatever they were thinking in terms of he wasn't there to perform or accept when he won 17 years ago, right. which is like, like not even like Yeah, an like wait for year. 20 or something. Right. I, that's what But for me. the producers, they had different Oscar producers every couple of years. And the two women who did it this year, my guess was like, we want this to happen. We will likely not be here at the 20th. <laughs> We're just going to do it now, and you're all going to watch it. On our watch, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, what was important? Bong Joon-ho was important. Yes. 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 His sliding across of Oscars at the signing <laughs> desk was important. His speeches were important. His translator, important. Share about the parasite-like <laughs> sweep was really cool. Um, they didn't sweep, but they did really good. Um this is my first year not watching the Oscars, which I talked about last mm-hmm. week, but I discovered that I could not help but feel like I was watching the Oscars because I didn't get off of Twitter while the Oscars oh, well, were <laughs> And so I was getting like a lot of reactions. Like the Eminem uh, occurrence was hilarious on Twitter because we were just like, what's happening? Why is Eminem here? I'm like, Eminem is here. What is he doing? Like, he's performing. I was like, well, that can't be possible. Like, a new song? Did he do a song and I missed it this year? Um, crazy. He had a song in Frozen 2. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't hear it? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm going uh, bong hive on this. Important. Yeah. For sure. I mean, what was interesting for me is like, I have to confess, and I'm glad to hear that I'm not alone, that I also didn't watch it this year while it was on. And I think I have, I related to what you were saying, Drea, because I think I have some kind of um, former entertainment journalist, like PTSD, um, (laughs) because it used to be part of my job to follow award season, to know everything that was happening to see all of the movies and to really follow that step by step. Like whenever there was something with someone has a new campaign, someone has a new for your consideration. This is pulling ahead. No one cares about this movie. Like, so by the time I remember by the time I got to the Oscars, I always felt sort of like, can this just end? Because (laughs) we've already been through so much with this season. Um, And so now I kind of, since I don't have to anymore, I kind of watch off and on. I watch very sporadically. Um, But my experience of the Oscars this year being an Asian American person was that my phone blew up. Oh, nice. As soon as all of that happened, it was just like from multiple different text threads, I meant, yay, hooray, can you believe it? This is amazing. It's an honor just to be Asian. Like, all of these things. (laughs) And so what was funny was like, I very much enjoyed um, experiencing it that way because I didn't think that Parasite, even though it had been so beloved, I just could not see it winning best picture like i just didn't think that was possible so to see like my phone blow up like that was just amazing and then i also kind of liked um the after commentary from you know different people i know and people on twitter and also i've experienced this too where um people will like congratulate you on it winning like even though you had nothing to do with it they're like you're asian congratulations on parasite and you're like that's like like moderately offensive but also yes thank you yes i'll take it i'm really excited about that too so um it's been you should fun. buy my script now I know. I'm Asian. it's been fun to kind of experience that like i guess communal celebration of asian excellence all right so 
French director Jean-Jacques Jean-Jacques Anneau is prepping a new TV series about filmmaker Alice Guy. For those who don't know, Guy is thought to be the first female director in history. Between 1896 and 1906 was likely the only female filmmaker in the world. Anneau had this to say about the upcoming series, although he probably said it in French. (laughs) It's the story of the meteoric life of an extraordinary young woman, so rapidly celebrated and so quickly forgotten. I want to bring her out of the oblivion into which she is falling. Fallen. Telling this story is also a wonderful way for me to pay tribute to my craft. Is this important? Do you care? It's so important and I care a great deal. (laughs) I love period pieces so much. I love historical dramas and all the things. And I feel like oftentimes marginalized communities don't get a spot to shine in them. Um, And when we are the feature, oftentimes it's like, here's the sad, sorrowful tale of how they survived. And aren't you lucky? And while those stories are also... Or they're adjacent. Here's the wife of the man who invented this thing. Yeah. Colette is a good example of like, she's with this guy for five seconds, but it's mostly about their non-love story. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always excited to see kind of the things, uh, especially if you think about shows like Genius, which have taken a moment to highlight some- That's the Nat Geo series, It right? is. Yeah. It's their first scripted uh, series, and it's pretty good. It's got some really good actors in it, but all their geniuses until just uh, last season, uh, Frida- they decided to focus on have been men and it was infuriating because all the men treated all of the women like crap and so yeah when one of your geniuses is Picasso yeah, it's yeah. not good and it was Einstein before that so we have problems uh, so I was really excited to see like female led centered focus work uh, especially in TV it's a good spot uh, I will quote our beloved April Wolf I can't find the 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 the, the tweet in front of me, but she was like, I'm not the kind of person who is going to die on the hill of every project about a, a female historical figure needs to be directed by a woman. But I think this one does. <laughs> it did. When I heard about this, I did assume it was a female mm. filmmaker behind it. Like Jean-Jacques Conneau is, you know, like he's kind of a big deal. He did, you know, uh, Quest for Fire and The Bear. And, you know, he's, he, you know, he's definitely established and I'm sure he's getting this thing off the ground. But now that he's getting it off the ground, it would be really awesome if, you know, he hired a woman to direct or if it's if it's episodic, multiple women to direct it. Because otherwise, come on, what are we doing? And yeah. in the writer's room yeah. and hopefully produce. Hi, women in all of your staff spots. Guys, the greatest news in the history of the world is happening. According to Deadline, Rick Moranis is coming out of retirement. Finally. And, oh, my God. And he's going to reprise his role as inventor Wayne Selinsky in a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The sequel would simply be called Shrunk and would star Josh Gad as Selinsky's son. Some shrinking will no doubt be involved as well. Uh, this is his first live action movie since 1997. If you don't know his story... Uh, Tragically, his wife passed and he was like, listen, I just want to be a good dad to my kids and becomes what Hollywood would call recluse. But you guys would probably just be like a normal person and just raised his children and was like a loving father. Oh, my God. And now he's coming back to us and he's going to perform and he's like a great actor. Like if you watch me, I shrunk the kid. Like it's such a simple and sweet movie, but he sells so many of those moments. And I'm so excited to have him back on screen. Rick Moranis is also such a particular flavor that no Mm. one else really has. Like the blend of being as goofy, nebbishy, but also like legitimately, sincerely sentimental. I feel like, oh yeah. And it's, it is that thing of when this was, 
in the news or people talk about it, it's a very funny, like, oh, how sad he's been, like, isolated. Yeah. I'm like, by choice, man. Yeah, yeah we like, kick him out. Yeah. Walk- I think, yeah, people can't wrap their head around the idea right. that somebody would walk away from, like, show business and stardom and success because, like, he was at the top of his game. It was mm-hmm. like, I, bye, you know, I'm going to go do my thing. And and more power to him. I think it's exciting he's going to be back. I've been a fan since SCTV, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he is, I think, like, a, a, a comedy legend. So this is really cool. Yeah. yeah, and the film, like, with a Josh Gad uh, as a counterpart, like, I just feel wholesome. And I love 90s <laughs> movies, like 90s family movies, Flubber, like, all those kinds of, like, high energy um cute there's always a dog involved <laughs> yes. more of that we need some wholesome right now yeah i mean and he was like he was such a, a staple of my childhood and i think probably a lot of people's childhoods and you know like i feel like back then especially when he kind of went into you know what we said was being, being a recluse or whatever <laughs> like there wasn't necessarily the internet so a lot of us mm. i think just didn't know what had happened right, to him right. and you know i think like i really liked what you said about drea about him being such a particular kind of of human on the screen because my brother and I loved him in both Honey, I Shrunk the Kids but also the Ghostbusters movies. And I felt like one of the things that made him so special in those and my husband now who's, you know, a big nerd like we've talked about this too is that he was a certain kind of nerd. Like the other Ghostbusters were also nerds but they were kind of cool because they were Ghostbusters and he was just like a straight up nerd. (laughs) Like when he comes in to to like defend them in the, the trial and he has like all those books and he doesn't really know what he's doing and he's pushing his glasses up his nose. And I think there was just something about that that resonated for a lot of us who were also nerds because like you guys were saying, he also came off as so earnest and kind and it wasn't really that kind of nerd who's trying to like gatekeep or keep other people out or who's angry because he's been bullied. He was just like this sweet, earnest, like shot, like, like you were saying, Joel, it's just like this, this kindness that we kind of need right now. There was an article in the last week on the internet that was like, hot guys need to stop playing Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Very yes. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Birds of Prey Ow. and the fantabulous and fantastic of one Harley Quinn <laughs> as soon as we hear from another show uh, from Max Fun. Hey, everyone. Mujan Zulfagari here with the cast of Mission to Zix. Our fourth season premieres on February 19th, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, we decided to ask one of our characters to give you a quick recap of what's happened so far, so say hi, C-53. Hello. How many do you have service? C, could you tell us what's happening in the Zix quadrant leading up to season four? Certainly. The evil nerd bundle, not to be confused with the non-evil nerd bundle of no relation, murdered his fellow counselors and crowned himself emperor of the galaxy. With the help of myself and the rest of the crew, the Barbarian Jade, Zeman Reflectex that are not the Emperor and an ancient cosmic entity known as Bino into a chasm aboard the gigantic Planet Crusher Crusher, a machine built to crush planet crushers, which in turn were designed to crush planets. The resulting implosion created a vast celestial object with unknown powers. We are currently in search of our former rebel commander, Sisu Gundu, who may yet reunite our fractured galaxy. Is that sufficient? Yeah, all clear to me. Mission to Zix, Season 4, debuts on February 19th on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, Alonzo Duralde. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Sarah Kuhn. And Joelle Monique. Today we're talking about Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, or as some theater chains have decided to start calling it, Harley Quinn, <laughs> colon, Birds of Prey. Uh, Drea, 
How about giving a synopsis? Okay. So this movie starts with a heartbroken and destitute Harley Quinn nursing some angry wounds over the end of her relationship with Joker. Mr. J. Um, and, you know, on that natural path of destruction, one does when they break up. Um, at the same time, we meet some other women who are sort of in her realm and become more and more. We have a cop played by Rosie Perez. We have a nightclub singer played by Journey Smollett. We have a pickpocket. <laughs> oh, Played I now I forgot her name. Ella J. Bosco. Thank you. Ella <laughs> J. Bosco. And then we have Mary Elizabeth Winstead um, as a an assassin. Um, and so these women are sort of circling in um, and all in the hunt for a diamond, which is just a beautiful MacGuffin, <laughs> t- carrying this story along. Um, and Harley is then after the diamond as well because she has had her life threatened by a an amazing nightclub owner played by Ewan McGregor <laughs> with Chris Messina as a henchman of hotness. So hot. And, yeah. And so, yeah. We're trekking <laughs> through the city. We're trying to find this diamond. We're stepping on toes and blowing shit up. And so, eating egg sandwiches. Oh, my oh God. God the egg sandwich. Put, a, put a pin in that. We're coming yeah, back really to that. <laughs> so now, okay, so the DC movies are in this interesting place where, like, you know, as opposed to Marvel's very vaunted shared universe, you don't always necessarily think that, like, Wonder Woman and Shazam and, you know, Aquaman are necessarily sharing the same planet. This is ostensibly, like, the Joker being referred to here would be the the... Thankfully, absent Jared Leto. This is technically a sequel to Suicide Squad because that's where we first met Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Do we think that that matters? Like, does anybody does does does, does DC even want us to think of this as a sequel to the I Suicide think Squad? I, they put in more legwork than I was expecting. In there's even a few flashbacks to the sort of shots of her falling into that vat of chemicals from Suicide mm. Squad and actual imagery from that movie. I was not expecting them to put in the time to connect those threads as much as they did. It's small um, and it's at the beginning so it wasn't like intruding on this story but it was very much to me grounding oh you've met this particular Harley Quinn before in this world to me. Sure. Am I the only one? I mean yeah I was I was um not expecting that either for them to actually show a little bit of footage and some flashbacks. I would say if if someone asked me if this was a sequel, I would say no, just because I oh, feel like... Oh, I wouldn't like, call it a sequel. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. I would agree. call it a spin-off. And don't yeah. call it a comeback. Or, I don't, I, <laughs> <laughs> you got to be gone to call it a comeback. I think the things they did put in were mostly in case you forgot or in case yeah. you don't know who Harley Quinn is or in case you don't know why she's talking so much about this person called Mr. J, here is a little bit of background for how she got to this point. Um, but as a movie, I felt like it was such the vision of Kathy Ann and Christina Hodson mm-hmm. and it was so singular in its point of view. It was it had such a voice. Like To me, that was one of the things I loved the most about it was it had such a voice. And I've had a lot of people ask, like, do I need to see Suicide Squad before mm-hmm. This and no. I really don't think you do. No, you don't. And I think actually a lot of the the women I know in my life um, had no interest in Suicide Squad, and this was something that they obviously were very interested in. And so I feel like it is a very 
separate by itself movie um, that perhaps has a little bit of extra context if you know the Harley mm-hmm. Quinn character and if you did see Suicide Squad. Um, but I I like to think of it as definitely its own thing. Yeah, as I a- felt like they put the I'm sorry they put mm-hmm. those Suicide Squad blinks in it so you didn't have to watch the movie. Right. Like, <laughs> it was less like an enticement of, is it this a yeah. world you want to be a part of? And more like, no, you're, we got you're you. Good. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. As a yeah. comic book fan, I feel like this is what I've been waiting for comic book movies to do mm. for a while, which is like, you just find a character you like and then they can just spin off into their own mm. thing. And the idea of not necessarily needing to see the entire can in order to get like what's happening in an, a singular individual movie, the idea that a character can go from sort of mostly being eye candy to like an entire person which is sort of the repeat history of Harley Quinn over and over again. I would love to talk about the fight scenes in general because I was impressed from beat one, pun intended, (laughs) that, you know, the thing with action movies is you have like these different set pieces and the idea is that they're going to change the scope of the kind of the sort of fight that's happening, how many people Mm. are in it, what the weapons are, what the look is. This one managed to make all of the fights seem disparate and interesting, but also it was much more similar than they normally are. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, they were, it was a lot of hand to hand combat. Mm -hmm. It was these beautifully choreographed, like it was so ballet looking and they were shooting them from far enough back that you saw the full body movement. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of in... Um, is it Iron Man 2 when Black Widow has that scene down the hallway? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of my favorites. I could watch it a thousand times and it's just her climbing on people, climbing on walls. And you're like, wait, where did her legs just go? <laughs> what? Well, if yeah. you look at that scene, yeah. like that sort of sets the tone for how women fight in movies from maybe even like up until sure. Legally mm. Blonde. Um, like using as many power... A- atomic Blonde? I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish no, Emily I had a whole other movie just happened in my head. Someone- I was like meld those two movies together and watch Legally it. Atomic Blonde. Yes. I, yes make it um, happen. But yeah, sorry. Atomic Blonde <laughs> and the idea of like women, you know, mostly using their legs they're doing a lot of power flips but uh, Chad Stileski who uh, runs this group 8711 who does uh, fight scenes for Deadpool 2 and Black Panther. Some of those crew were on Atomic Blonde. I saw him speak two years ago um, at the New York Film Academy and he was talking about how frustrating it was to watch women fight in movies. He's like, not because women can't fight but because they're often choreographed to fight like men. Yes. He's like, you mm. cannot throw a punch and like send a guy back 50 feet if you're petite. It doesn't work that way. He's like, so for him to come in to this movie and be like, oh, we're going to get like some fun weapons <laughs> and tools like he used a bat like a boomerang at one point and just threw it on the ground and hit someone and then flew back in her hands and I wanted to cry it was so gorgeous the way we're going for knees and elbows and eyes like oh God, looking for sensitive now. parts per- yeah when she when the Harley starts taking that guy out by the truck and his Stop knee it. is caught in the window it, uh, it no, is that was sensational it is the difference of watching women fight and having as ridiculous as so much of it is having still a sense of yes I believe this woman could fight <laughs> this yeah. way right. in this world is a big difference because a lot mm-hmm. of it you get like oh they can fly or they have all these gadgets and like no these are just women with like brass knuckles yeah. and a mallet there was yeah. also the erasure or, of like hyper fear for the woman going into the fight I yeah. feel like even in moments of Atomic Blonde you're like oh my god how she, oh lord she's not gonna be able to do this and with Harley was able to just strut into fights and she was like let's go I am ready <laughs> like completely unfazed and I think the way that uh, they were able to flip our expectations for not just a lot of our heroes but for our villains too and the way they're visually portrayed and the way they act out some of their emotions uh black mask is a very typical like 
cocaine drug lord, like tough, like very cool. And I mentioned uh, on a different show, like the and idea. And that's the Ewan McGregor character? Yes. And the idea that, like, that character who's always dressed in black and white gets a black and white Hawaiian t shirt, like, right <laughs> off the jump to let you know, like, listen, we're going to be delving into this guy's interior level of. Un- the way he's uncomfortable, the way he fears being emasculated, the way he presents himself in a very high polished way. And then she took all the cool from him. Like that's stuff we really admire and say like a Scarface or um, a Godfather type character. This idea that they are effortlessly cool and awesome and intimidating. And he gets to be all those things except cool. And I think that was made it able that we were able to laugh at the villain. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was cathartic as hell. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> now, Sarah is our Cassandra Cain expert. <laughs> uh, and yes. that's probably the character who is the most changed yes. from, she- the, from her comics roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, tell us a little about... OG Cassandra Cain versus the film one, and and how you think they they sort of implemented this new okay. version. And in the film, she's the young pickpocket. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So, and also, I think I'm supposed to say I did not have anything to do with the making of the movie. <laughs> it was completely separate from working on in uh, comics. But yes, I I wrote a uh, graphic novel called Shadow of the Batgirl, which is a retelling of the Cassandra Cain origin. And the artist is Nicole Gu, who's amazing. And um, it just came out. It just came out, <laughs> and we're very excited. And I. I have been a Cassandra Cain for a, a Cassandra. I have been a Cassandra Cain fan for a long time, pretty much since she debuted 20 years ago. She was the Asian Batgirl. How can you not love that, especially if you're Asian? So, um, congratulations! In, thank you, thank you yes, <laughs> for Parasite and Cassandra Cain. I will take your congratulations. Um, but um, in the comics, she is the daughter of supervillains. She's the daughter of David Cain and Lady Shiva who are kind of these master assassins. And she's been raised by her father, and he has deprived her of speech, of human contact, of language, really. So her main language is body language. She knows how to read someone so she can sort of predict what they're going to do in a fight. And she is this very tiny teenage girl, but she is the world's, like, most badass living weapon. And so as as her story goes on in the comics, she eventually has this moment where she actually breaks from her father. She runs away, and she eventually... I'm streamlining a lot because this is very complicated, like many comic book origins, but she eventually is taken under the wing of Barbara Gordon and Bruce Wayne, and she decides to be a hero and fight evil and fight back against her father. And it's very powerful because it's sort of this person who has been given all these tools to be a bad guy, and she decides to be a hero. And I always thought that was very powerful. Um so in the movie, um, they have it is a different version. She is, as you said, more of a pickpocket. Um, she's still a young Asian American teenage girl, um, and it's been interesting to kind of see the reaction because I know there are some fans who feel that um, they perhaps just took the name and gave it to a different character, and they could should have called it something else, and et cetera, et cetera. I personally feel like how many different versions of Batman do we have? Like honestly, <laughs> yeah. how sure. many? times has that that character been reinterpreted why can we not have 
a few different versions of Cassandra Kane. For me, like just hearing them say her name, like this Asian American mm. character who I've loved for so long, who I never thought was going to be in any movie or any TV show. That's amazing. That's still very affecting. I think Ella J. Bosco is fantastic. She I is think great. like she is such a character that you just immediately want to hug. Like it's sort of like Harley feels about her. You want to take care of her. You want to feed her cereal. You want to take her to your like janky apartment. <laughs> you want to show her your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also love that she was the only person who didn't know who Joker was like and that was like a powerful moment for Harley and so I just I will protect any version of Cassandra Kane with my life I will protect the comic book version I will protect my version I will protect this version I just thought she was wonderful and as far as like some of the criticisms that it's it's so different I also have to say that I had a very emotional reaction because like one of the things that I've kind of seen from some fans is like Cassandra Cain in the comics is like this badass fighter like and in the movie she's actually the only one who doesn't really like physically fight like they're all protecting her I actually was very moved by that. Love that. I was like, Cassandra Kane has had to work really hard in the comic books. <laughs> she's always protecting people. She's always fighting. She doesn't think she's good enough to be a hero. And here in this movie, you she gets like these kind of big sister figures who will all fight for her and protect her. And she's introduced. It's interesting because I obviously didn't know her background, but it is set up in a way, you know, you find out the small glimpse you get is she has foster parents who are like, Angry, yeah. but maybe abusive, whatever. Right, right. So it's she still could have the yes, origin story. I, I think and I yeah, the, I just love that this character that we saw being when we first meet her, she's neglected and ignored. And by the end, she is being like handed from woman <laughs> to woman. Yes. It reminded me of the Avengers Endgame when they're passing yes. the gauntlet. Right. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Cassandra Cade is their gauntlet. No, it's like it was like one of one of the reviews we got somewhere, maybe it was Amazon for our book, the title was like Cass Kane is baby and I was like ah! in this one I was like she's baby she's everyone's baby <laughs> we, we have to wrap up soon but I we have to talk just a little bit about uh, the female gaze I think it, it oh, pops yeah. up in yeah. various places I, I love that there's a scene where Black Mask humiliates a woman in his nightclub mm-hmm. and we cut away to like how Black Canary responds to it rather than just sort of indulge in, in I the, had that, that exact moment. thought but the egg sandwich we have to talk about the egg sandwich <laughs> oh my god the sexiest thing in this movie I've it. wanted one ever since I saw it. <laughs> Truly, I was like, should we all just hop a plane to New York and go get our egg sandwiches? If they didn't serve those at the premiere, they did it wrong. Yeah, oh, man. There's something about a woman thoroughly enjoying food mm. that I think is often missed in films. You rarely see a woman eat her if she does this very like sumptuous and sexy. She's just poking her over. Right. Exactly. Or, or she's sad in a uh, Bridget Jones' Diary way oh, where right. she's like, yeah. let me eat all my feelings. Or you could even do uh, Drag Me to Hell where she secretly has an eating disorder. And it's like all these like very complicated relationships with food and so to just really streamline it to just be like let me get that egg sandwich that is my favorite (laughs) and also the idea of like the specificity of like I need to get it from this place Mm -hmm. from that guy because he knows what he's doing and that loving sort of like neighborhood relationship I was talking about how like this is such a like lovely interpretation of how Harley sees Gotham which is often like a very dark like seedy city and underbelly through Batman's eyes and here it's just a very glowy like neighborhood place and the fact that she has everybody from her sandwich guy to Doc and, and 
these characters that make a city feel like home, there's something really wonderful all connecting back to that egg sandwich. Simplicity and deliciousness <laughs> and love. And I really, I just appreciated that and the like cute little text messages on screen as we were like, who are all these people coming after her? Oh, yeah. Like what a great, yeah. like amazing way to introduce a whole bunch of people really quickly. They have to make a sequel to this movie oh, because I I'm in love with it. Fr- fr- friend of the show, Johnny Jungle Guts, pointed out that this movie sort of vindicates the Joel Schumacher vision. You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the way this movie uses color and the way that mm-hmm. it kind of like, you get this sort of old school like Gotham City. It's riddled with chemical plants and abandoned amusement <laughs> parks and fog shrouded piers, you know. Uh, all right, so uh, we have to decide uh, to tell our listeners, would you screen it, stream it, or skip it, Sarah? <laughs> I mean, obviously screen it. That's the best one, right? I'm just yes. making sure yes, I have yes, the right. Yes. yes. No, I loved this movie. I loved this movie so much that it, it's one of those things that I felt like was actually made for me or was made for a certain audience that has perhaps been underserved in the past. I loved the voice of it. I loved all the performances. I loved the way that Christina Hudson wrote it, and I loved the way Kathy Yan really shot it. And just, I thought it was beautiful. And I have to say that egg sandwich moment was like I think the moment when I was like oh no this is the one <laughs> this is the movie I feel seen like I feel seen like the way that it's shot like a romantic montage is brilliant <laughs> and yeah like I what Joelle was saying about like showing a woman like relishing eating like relishing food and enjoying it I thought was actually much more revolutionary than I think it's being given credit for. But everything from that to the the hair tie, like oh, Harley yeah. giving Black Canary the mm-hmm. hair tie, to actually them showing Huntress putting on her eye makeup, like instead of being like, oh, it just appears like that when you wake <laughs> up. Like everything, all those details were amazing. And so I want everyone to see it. Joel? This movie is so gay. Go see it in a <laughs> yes. theater. Buy a ticket. Imagine Chris and... Ewan are actually in a relationship. I know there's a cut somewhere where that actually mm. happened, and I really look forward to the DVD. <laughs> give me that full. Give me that. I love them. Uh, send me your fan fiction. I will read it. <laughs> I have no problem. That read is not um, a reach. <laughs> uh, take. Okay, listen. If you have a like 12, 13, 14-year-old girl in your life who loves action movies, and you're like, I don't really know. It's rated hard R. I was a kid who saw a lot of R-rated <laughs> films, and this is much gentler. The Violence is violent. I'll give you that. So if they're, you know, squeamish or you're worried about show exposing them to violent things, you know, maybe wait. But if you're not and they're really into it and they're already watching action movies, feel free to buy them a ticket. There's not like sexually explicit stuff. It is amazing and it will make them feel so empowered walking out of that theater. This is, I wish I had this ki- this movie when I was a kid. Like yeah. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly wish that this had been something I could have experienced as a child because it is amazing. That's such a good relationship. Like messages about moving on. It's good. Go see it. Go see the movie. <laughs> yes. Screen it. It's the most fun I've had in so long. Yeah, absolutely. Screen it. Uh, I, I had a blast. I think this is a really smart movie. I think we're going to, we're gonna. it's going to take us a while to unpack all the things this movie is doing. Mm. All I know is that for me, they're pretty much all working. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and, and, and don't buy into the hype that this movie is somehow tanking. Like I think that, that that's kind of a, a lens yeah. that you can yeah. throw on it. But like it, given what it costs and what it's making it's so far. Made, it was made for like half as much yeah. as yeah. Not $81 million in its opening weekend. It's fine. Yeah. It'll be it, fine. It already made its budget back, right? Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah, like, globally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So go see it. It's it's a delight. <laughs> you, you will, you'll enjoy yourself. All right. We'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun.
Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co-host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fan Time. And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other more fabulous co-host. And the reason you really should be tuning in. I feel the nausea rising. To be Fan is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti-feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? Ew, to the nah, to the nah, nah, nah. We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fanti, Maximum Fun, podcast. Ow. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Alonzo Duraldi. In the studio with me are... Joelle Monique, Sarah Kuhn, Drea Clark. It's time to listen to a call from our Who Shot line. We love to hear from our listeners, and y'all always have great questions. Casey, play the call, please. Hi, y'all. Uh, this is Eve from Alameda. Um, and I just paused uh, Ricky's very valid rant about um, no one in Dolomite getting nominated for an Oscar. Uh, to posit the question I often ask myself, which is, why do I still care about the Oscars? Um, they get it wrong so often. I'm mostly disappointed. Um, so my question for you is, um, what's another award show that I could support instead of paying attention to the Oscars? Um, who gets it right more often? And my larger question is, can we all just collectively stop caring about the Oscars? <laughs> just wondering if that's possible. Thank you, Eve. That's a great question. Wow, uh, I ask myself that every year. Um, I like the collective decision can yes. we make. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, you know, just when you're ready to completely blow off the Oscars forever, they go and do something like this year where they, like, get it right and defy expectations and don't, aren't like, you know, checking off all the boxes that everybody predicted two weeks earlier, you know? Yeah. They did check off a lot of the boxes. Sure. I got, like, 22 out of 24 right. Wow. Um, so a lot of those boxes I saw coming. <laughs> I did not see director or best picture, so I was very happy to, to have that. To be wrong. <laughs> the, the, the tricky part with the Oscars on a big cultural level is it... It helps a lot of films mm. in certain ways, and there's you know there's marketing and push that comes out of them that is just so cooked into the machine that I would never want to take away from like the you know if people looked up how to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl because that one documentary short or sure. do you know what I mean like mm. there's things that come out of it and the other thing is not that every industry needs or has this kind of celebratory accolades driven thing but i mean this is a lot of vanity in this particular industry <laughs> there is something about if you're trying to rank and acknowledge that i don't know if there's another um there's other award shows we can talk about like the spirit awards which i've worked at before and are run by film independent which i work at and that do great work in the indie sphere, yet the amount of independent filmmakers I can find that complain about the Spirit Awards <laughs> and how they aren't actually representational of right. actual, like, much, you know. So I think that most award shows, there are going to be cooked in politicking elements, mm -hmm. cooked in agendas by the people who make them, and, you know, cooked in placeholder things. I'm not a chef, so I don't know if I'm using cooked in correctly. <laughs> I love it. But ba you get what yeah, I'm saying. Baked in. But I, I always tell people, and I know I, I'm not 
uh, you know, the, the, uh, I'm not objective here because I'm in a critics group. But I think that critics groups tend to, for me, tend to be a, a better way to look at these, mainly because I think we see more movies than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I would... I would lay money down that I see more movies a year than most members of the Academy because their job Mm. is like making movies. They are busy, you know, shooting films and writing them and getting them made and all that stuff. This is what I do for a living. I go to the movies all the time. I go, I see three, four new movies a week, you know, not even counting like classics or stuff I'm considering for festivals, just like for the, just, just, just the hamster wheel of new releases, you know, that's like several hundred films a year. And so like you look at, you know, I keep, I keep coming back to Mary Kay Place and Diane, you know, best <laughs> actress from LA film critics, best actress from the National Society of Film Critics. Because we saw the movie and mm-hmm. we didn't need a multi-million dollar marketing campaign to get us to see the movie. And so I think if you look at what critics awards are, you know, in and of themselves, not as a how well do they predict how the Oscars are going to go. I think you're going to come away with some really good choices and some interesting choices that maybe larger groups aren't going to make because everybody who voted went into that room having seen hundreds of movies mm. that year. I loved the Oscars for so long. I love <laughs> spectacle. I love big dresses. I love musical performance numbers. There's really nothing I don't like about the Oscars. Uh, I, I did not watch this year because, again, I was just feeling away, was pleasantly surprised. I think that it's hard to let go of it because it's such a easy touchstone for people, especially if you are outside of the industry and you're just a person who generally loves movies. It's really easy to go and be like, oh, what are some like really great movies I've missed? Let's see what one best picture. Uh, who are some directors I should be checking out? You know, look at the best directors list from any year and you can start exploring. And it's a great way to get into film history and understanding, you know, who are the giants. And so I, I totally understand being both disgusted and and eagerly awaiting the next Oscars. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy space to kind of be in. I don't think that there's a, another uh, platform that's going to give you what you want. I hope for in the future uh, an award ceremony that doesn't necessarily look at best because I think it's way too challenging to categorize best, but instead points out and uplifts great things that have happened within the industry. So like I don't know, this year, instead of, like, best actors, we'd be like, best what the hell performance was that? It was amazing. And we give it to Lapita because, holy cow, what did she do to us? It was wonderful. They would have better titles. I suck at titles. That's but basically the, <laughs> the MTV Movie Award. <laughs> <laughs> but even the MTV Movie, best kiss. And, like, I just, I, I'm curious to see if there's a way, if we could ever just be, like, let's just honor what was really excellent in film this year as opposed to trying to rank them, mm. if that makes sense. I don't know if that's a possibility. I'd like to see it. And, and I'll tell you, even if there are flaws with the Spirit Awards, and I'm sure there are, as somebody who's been on that jury a few times, like I know it's real. you have to... The, the, that final five yep. is is sweat and blood and like yeah. you know, people really like argued Passion and hashed it out to nominees. get it down to those five. So, you know, and a lot of times these smaller movies will maybe get a Spirit Award nomination coming out of like one of the festivals that qualifies and then opens later, you know. So be on the lookout for like titles maybe that you've never heard of for movies that are still in the pipeline and coming going to come out within the, the months afterwards. Like, you know, seize the opportunity to, to take a look at those. 
shout out to the farewell, which won yes. best picture. Also, congratulations <laughs> to you. Yes. Yes. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. Asian farewell Tower. now available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, well, Eve, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who has called in. We love them. Please, please keep it up. Be like Eve. Keep them short and call us at WSY eight zero three one six six four. And uh, that's the perfect segue to get into staff picks. Can be any movie in theaters or streaming or whatever else. Sarah, kick us off. <laughs> well, what's funny was I was actually going to say the movie that I was just congratulated for, which is The <laughs> yeah. Farewell. Nice. Um, I thought, uh, I think Lulu Wang is just an incredible filmmaker. I think she's so brilliant. And I think what is interesting and somewhat infuriating for me is that a lot of times I think, especially when women of color tell a story that is maybe something inspired by our real lives or something that we've gone through or something that's happened to us, I think a lot of times people think it's easy. Like they're like, oh, that, well, you know, she, you know, she just told this story that happened from her life. And I'm like, that is actually She just like, handed everyone her diary. Right, right. <laughs> like there was no script. Like they just read like her. And I'm like, no, that's actually harder. Yeah. And the fact that she made a movie that felt intimate but also epic that sort of like paused on these just beautiful moments um like the whole the motif she had with like the bird the bird that she keeps seeing and that last shot i just thought was incredible and i think she's an incredible storyteller i was really disappointed that it, she didn't really get nominated for anything in the oscars super happy that they won the spirit award um i just think that movie is really beautiful and i can't wait to see what she does next joel same uh, I'm so sorry. I have a Netflix recommendation. Don't be mad. Uh, it is a six-part uh, documentary called Who Killed uh, Malcolm X. It is so damn riveting. Uh, if you feel like you know the story, they'll tell you you don't. We've got a thousand new facts. Um, it How to describe? Uh it is an expansive look at Malcolm X's uh, death, just very specifically what happened. And I think if the more you learn and know about the civil rights leaders who were killed mostly by government agencies, mm. the more you'll become interested in what's happening now with a lot of the protesters in Ferguson. There are super scary links. Um, and so to revisit a very important member of our history um, and see what happened to him. And, and it, this is the documentary that caused them to read opened the case recently wow. um so hopefully we will actually find out who did it uh if he's still alive um i think it's important to watch it it's really good it, it brings some tissues maybe someone's hand to hold but mm -hmm. it's good yeah. will do Freya? so i have a recommendation of a film that i programmed at bentonville film festival last year that had premiered at south by southwest called Olympic Dreams. It is coming out limited release this weekend and probably digital quick to follow. It is directed and starring this woman named Alexi Pappas, who is an Olympic um, distance runner. She competed. She's American, but like uh, via Greece. So she competed <laughs> for Greece in like the 1500 or something at the Summer Olympics. 
she shot the Olympic Dreams, the film, with her husband as co-director, Jeremy Tyker, um, and Nick Kroll as her male lead. And it's a basically a romance that takes place at Olympic Village during the last Winter Olympics. That's amazing. And they actually oh filmed. God. They had permission to film some stuff. They, I'm assuming, stole others. <laughs> but she plays um, a competitive, um, a cross country skier in mm. it, and she is an Olympian, so she looks like an Olympian. <laughs> and he plays um, a dentist. I think who's there just like helping out with the athletes again as part of the village and the idea of a romance of two people with like very different slightly lonely isolated backgrounds meeting at this place that is so specific and wonderful that you don't have a lot of access to and definitely not in this way and I think it's just a really interesting just sort of independent film experiment with that. Mm. So. Do they get into the steamy lustiness of Olympic films? <laughs> it, it is it's much less horny than most <laughs> Olympic uh, stories. No. Um, there, it's more of a character like relating. I'm not going to say there isn't a horny element, mm. but nothing. I don't think like I don't think you could film. The true horniness of Olympic uh, Village. They went through like eight million condoms at the last Summer Games. All, all those, all those f- idealized specimens. Get it in. Uh, now, okay, so mine is uh, this is a film that's streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, it is technically listed in my Christmas book, but uh, I think this is one that doesn't necessarily have to be holiday dependent. Uh, somebody on Twitter asked, what would be the ideal double feature film to screen with Parasite? Ooh. And my husband immediately goes, it happened on Fifth Avenue. It happened on Fifth Avenue as a comedy that was made. It was it was the movie that Frank Capra thought about making before he wound up doing It's a Wonderful Life. One of the writers of the film did get hauled in front of the House on American Activities Committee. It is a Christmas movie, but it is like the most wonderfully kind of like fuck the rich, collectivism is great <laughs> comedies. It's about this rich guy in New York who who every winter goes off to his his hunting lodge in Virginia, and this homeless guy who moves in and lives in his house every year. Yes, that is the okay. I thought so, that was that. So the rich guy has also managed to like tear down this apartment building of affordable housing. So the our our, our hero, this GI, recently you know from the, from World War II, is is homeless. So the homeless guy invites him to stay there too. And then the the GI has like three friends who are married and they've got kids and they're trying to find a place in New York and there's no place. Like, like more and more people start showing up. The rich guy's daughter turns up to get her clothes. They think she's breaking in. She falls in love with the GI, so she pretends to also be poor. <laughs> so then her parents, to keep an eye on her, also pretend to be oh poor to live in their own house where they now have to be <laughs> servants. It's a really charming movie and a really, like, I, I, just a sharp film about, like, capitalism in a way that you wouldn't expect from a 1940s comedy. I'm going to go home on this right now. I'm so impressed by that. I never would have come up with that parasite correlation. I, that's, that's amazing. That is a, that's a Dave yeah. White. Dave he White. Here, here. He, he's what the a guy winner. This. Uh, all right. Now is the time where we talk about our five-star reviews. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on the air. Uh, I'm going to throw this one to Joelle out yes! of modesty. I love a dramatic reading. <laughs> this one comes from Super Bracket Bros Cast. Best movie podcast besides maybe Linoleum Knife. Both feature the great and wonderful Alonzo Duralde. This podcast consistently delivers on laughs, insight, and good suggestions. A very tricky balance to pull off. They often have great guests, too, that provide insight into the movie-making world from angles that somebody on the outside looking in wouldn't normally have access to. 
I myself am a host of a podcast that is two straight white dudes talking nonsense. So the wider perspective on things is also greatly appreciated. Shout outs to Ify for buff nerd power. <laughs> shout out to Alonzo for catching me up on a century of film I've missed out on. And shout outs to Drea for being a great cat mom. <laughs> shout outs to Casey for having stellar movies of the decade list. I think we should be best friends. Listen to Who Shot Ya. Oh, thank you, Thanks. Super Bracket Bros. That's very sweet. Uh, next week, uh, even though like Drea begged us not to, we're going to be oh, talking about you. Portrait of a Lady <laughs> on Fire with none other than Ms. Ingu Kang. Yay. So excited! Ding, 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 ding. Uh, who, by the way, is now writing a brilliant TV coverage at The Hollywood Reporter. Sure you should is. check that out if you've not already. Uh, once again, the uh, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY8031664. And a reminder, of course, that you can buy a Jumbotron at our show, plug your business, propose to your sweetheart, whatever it takes. Uh, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Sarah... Thank you for coming. Thank this you was a for delight. Having me. It was where, so fun. Where can folks find you online? Um, they can my website is heroinecomplex.com. That's the name of my first book. I am also on Twitter way too much as Sarah Kuhn. And I'm on Instagram as Sarah Kuhn Books because someone took Sarah oh, oh, Rude. I hate them. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, Shadow of the Batgirl available wherever yes. fine comics are sold. Yes, everywhere. Awesome. Uh, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Who Shot Your Podcast or send us an email at whoshotya at maximumfun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.